We have pets. Who has pets? Okay, there are two kinds of people in the world. Who are the dog people? And who are the people who don't know any better? I mean cat people. Cat people. Who, we have cat people. Yes. How many of you have your Facebook feed full of cat videos? Sorry. Beautiful thing. Well, well, to counteract that, I brought a little dog video today. Is that okay? It's, it's relatively short, so whenever you guys are ready, should be fun. I've lost you for, so I'll try to ease this back into it. Love animals. We have dogs. We've had more dogs. Just have the one now. Love dogs. Particularly, she loves the dog. Just saying. We're lucky we get to stay inside most days. Beautiful thing. Animals are fascinating critters. I mean, you see some of that, and and, and whether it's cats or or whatever, amazing things that they can be trained to do or they do. And that's just beyond the, uh, the fact those are domesticated. When you look at the bigger picture of the animal kingdom beyond just dogs and cats, and you get get way big. Animals have some amazing behaviors that they're able to do. I say behaviors because I know we have like a whole line up here of island dolphin care people, and you guys could give this presentation and, and, and be done. But if I've had the privilege of going there and swimming with, with my son with, with the dolphins over there, and remarkable to get in the water with them and to, to interact in the way that, 
that some of you probably have had the opportunity to. And you see these behaviors that animals have, and they're, they're so fascinating, and, and they're, they're so remarkable that they've learned them and all. And then I think about, about us, and, and one of the, the questions maybe that, that animals ask that we can't hear, but certainly that define people, particularly about the time they're two years old, is the question, why? Do you remember the why stage? Why? 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 Why is that, Mommy? Why, Daddy? But why? And what is the answer? Because. Because I said so. Does that work? I'm asking for real because it never did for me. Does it work for anybody? No, it doesn't. We ask why, and it's interesting to me as we as we grow up. Sometimes we have that stage where we're so curious and want to know all the whys. But at some point, I think we get into the the pattern of not asking that question. Maybe it's because our parents convince us at that age to quit asking that question. It's horrible to ask that question. Why would you do that? Um, but at the same time, we kind of get as as adults and into our habits and into our routines, and it's easy to miss. The why. It's easy to forget about or overlook the why question. And so today I want to talk about that from our perspective of, well, what we do here, what we do in church, what we do as Christians. That's very unique. And what do we do when we get together? Well, there's really two elements that define most of what most Christian groups do when they get together. There's preaching and there is singing. Have you noticed that? I mean, today, we did it the other way. We sang, and then I'm going to preach, and then we'll sing at the end. And if you go to other churches in our town, you'll find, guess what? They will sing, and they will preach. Have you ever been to a conference, a Christian conference? What happens at those conferences? They will sing, and they will preach. Interesting that that's the case. And Interesting as well as that's a rather unique expression of what we do. If you were to go to other places that gather, maybe it's philosophical movements or or religious groups, preaching and singing in the way we do them is unique. As far as the Buddhist, you wouldn't go to a Buddhist temple or a Buddhist expression of worship and expect preaching and singing. It'll be different if you were to go into a a Muslim place of worship. You may know something about the Muslim faith. It's kind of one that we hear a lot about in the news. And you would see in the Muslim faith, you you would hear some things. You would hear some things about who is the prophet and how important is that name and that individual in Muslim uh, history. You would you would hear as well about the things that you're supposed to do, whether it's to, to pray a certain number of times a day or or to give alms or to make your pilgrimage or whatever it is that there. And hopefully, if you do all of that right, God, Allah, might accept it and might deem you worthy or saved or whatever word is appropriate in that thing. But as far as religious expression... When we get together as Christians, the thing that defines us, the thing that marks our gatherings is there is preaching and there is singing. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever asked why? Have you ever taken the time to think, is there a why to what? Is it just because, you know, 2,000 years or so of Christian history from the days of Jesus, that's sort of what we do? 
Or is there more to it than that? Is there something else about who we are that determines what we do? And, and, and I think that's an important thing to, to ask. Because if we believe that life is so short, and we do, even the 70, 80, 90, 100 or so years some of us might live, some shorter than that, obviously, some maybe even longer, that's short in the grand scheme of eternity. And if we also believe that eternity is, in fact, that, is, eternity is so long, it's eternal, it's forever and ever, it's a place where time isn't measured, then it seems to me we need to get right the stuff that we do, the stuff that we spend our time doing, the, the whys behind the what's of church. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about that. And, and one of the things, I, I like how John Piper puts it, he talks about Christianity being unique. And this is how he says it. He says, Christianity is the only faith that is created by and sustained by news. Christianity is the only faith that's created by and sustained by news. In fact, if we were to look in Scripture, we see this idea of what it is to, to have news proclaimed throughout. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, a couple passages we'll throw up here. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9 is the first one. He says, get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of what? Good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Inherent in Isaiah's calling and commission was this idea of news. A few chapters later, Isaiah 52, we see another passage that, that points to the same thing. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to, to Zion, your God reigns. And then one you're probably all familiar with. We're a few months early on this one. In Luke chapter 2, what does the angel say to the shepherds? Behold, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord Central to what we talk about and what is Christianity is news. It is what birthed us, is what created us, and it is what sustains us as God's people. What is that news? It's, well, what's the word that showed up over and over as the, the modifier, the adjective of news? What is that word? It is good news. In fact, you're probably familiar with the, the word gospel. We talk about preaching the gospel. What is the uh, Greek word for gospel? Is Euangelizomai, which is where we get our English word. I know that's a fun word. Evangelize, which at its root means tell the good news. There is good news. That is what we are about. That's what God did when he sent Jesus. And that's what the angels heralded. I like that word, herald. They heralded that there is good news that must be proclaimed. Christianity is about news. It's about you need to know something. You need to hear something. I can't wait to tell you something. God has acted in history. Isn't that remarkable? That in history, 2,000 years ago, the Bible records that there was a man, Jesus. History tells us he was here. There are extra biblical places where we know of this man, Jesus. But the Bible puts the emphasis on who he was. He was 
God that became flesh, the word that became flesh, God incarnate that walked this earth. And he came and walked this earth among a people whom God had revealed himself to. We talked about that quite a bit last week from from Exodus where God appeared to them and gave them the law and guided them through the desert and ultimately established them as a nation. Why? So that ultimately he could bring about this good news that God has come in the flesh. And Jesus walked out, lived out his life, the perfect expression of all that God had revealed to his people Israel in the Old Testament. This is what it looks like. This is how it is possible to live out the life of God, the very law of God. Jesus says, I've not come to get rid of or to do away with the law. I've come to what? To fulfill it, to complete it, to put a cap on it, to perfect it. All of those words, symbolic or or translations of what Jesus did. And then he went from that perfect and sinless life to the cross. And he, on the cross, bore my sin and bore your sin. We owed this incredible debt to God because he is a holy God. He is an awesome God. That was much of what we talked about last week. He is so different than us, and we are marred by sin, and his holiness can't stand sin in any form. And so we were separated from him, but Jesus stands in the gap and takes upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so he took upon himself the punishment I didn't want and I couldn't bear, so that by his resurrection, he comes alive to give me life. As we sang a few minutes ago, I'm alive, not because there's anything remarkable about me, but because what Jesus has done for me. This is the news. This is the good news. From the earliest days of the church, what did they proclaim? This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead. You need to know this. You need to hear this. What transformed this ragtag bunch of fearful disciples of Jesus who were hiding and scared to show their faces lest the same fate that befell their Lord would come upon them? What changed them but this news that Jesus is alive? And everywhere they went, they said, we've got news to tell you. It wasn't about... Doctrine particularly, although that comes out of Scripture and revelation of God through the Bible and of Paul's writing. Yes, doctrine and, and, and orthodoxy and all those fun words. What did the, the text or the, the content of their message become? The good news about Jesus. And because of who he is, and because of what God has done, you can know God. That is good news, Yes. What do you do when you get good news? You know, you put it on Facebook. Come on. Tell it. That means you have to talk to people. We don't talk to people. We type on the thing, and they like it. Yep. Am I right? No, I am. I mean, that's, we, you got to share it. You have good news. you got to tell somebody. Somebody needs to know. Somebody needs to celebrate with me. Somebody needs to get excited about it with me. Right? Guess what we have? As Christians, it's not a trick question. You can really answer. It's okay. I need to clear it up. Two words. First word starts with G. That was tougher than I thought. We have good news. And Christianity is about news. In fact, that's what my role is today is I'm heralding, to use the Isaiah phrase, good news. 
I believe that as, as you look into Scripture, as you study, as you learn about God, it's not the simple matter of I need to get up here and transfer information to you. It's not about me trying to give a logical presentation of certain historical facts that you need to know so that someday when you get up to heaven and you face that great Jeopardy quiz in the sky, you'll have the right answer. We've reduced it at times to that. And maybe that's the fault of sometimes our our way of looking at modern evangelism and wanting to systematize everything. How many of you have taken EE or CWT? You know what EE is? EE is Evangelism Explosion. You know what CWT is? It's a Baptist ripoff of Evangelism Explosion. Just be honest. Evangelism Explosion came out of Presbyterian Church. And we, Southern Baptists, we don't publish Presbyterian stuff. So we rewrote it and gave it a new name. It's Continuing Witness Training. There you go. We also don't dance either, but we ruined that earlier, nonetheless. A, a Carlos dance. I don't know if I was looking forward. I'm not sure if anybody else did. But, you know, we have, and we, we have diagnostic questions, they're called. And they're helpful questions. These are the two questions. They might be familiar with you. Do you know for certain if you were to die tonight, you would spend an eternity with God in heaven, which is a great way to open a conversation. But it's a, it's a question that's helpful. Do you know for certain if you were to die tonight, you would spend eternity with God in heaven? You would think most people would, given the options, eternity with God or eternity apart from God, heaven or hell, however you want to describe it, most people would choose heaven. And when you ask that question, you get a variety of answers. Uh, but it's, it opens the conversation. The second diagnostic question is this. If you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you tell him? Also a good question. What, what's the answer to that? And, and, and here's where, where I'm going with this idea that there's this heavenly quiz show. Maybe we picture, because we're so steeped, at least I grew up that way, maybe it's not so much anymore, but I was so steeped in that that I thought, if I just know the answer to that question, I'm in. If I just get that question right, and, and I'm kind of a, I like to read and I like to, to, to you know, think and whatever, and so it was easy for me to, to think, if I could just reduce this to a quiz that I can get answers to, I'm fine. In fact, that was kind of the transition in my life from I went to church and answered all the quizzes right in Sunday school to understanding that there's more to this than just knowing a few facts about God. And so what we do today in this, in this room and what we do as the, the church of God shouldn't be just imparting information and memorizing facts to somehow impress God with our knowledge. No, we herald good news because like all good news, when we understand it, we can't help but pass it along. And so the gospel, when it gets a hold of us, when we understand it as the good news of what God has done for me in Christ, I want to tell others that good news is available to you too. And here's where we'll spend the rest of our time, because you know as well as I do, that's not an easy thing to communicate. And that's not something in our world, as it's moving, as some would say, maybe away from Christianity, or away from whatever word you want to use to describe the way we believe is, is less than something people want to hang on to. So 
So I want to look for the rest of our time at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a few verses there, to talk about this good news and hopefully to understand for us as the people who have come to understand the good news that God has acted on our behalf in history, in Jesus, what it means for us to herald that good news, to live out that good news, and how maybe we can respond to those around us who have not come to the same point we are in relationship to God and to that good news. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, this is what Paul writes. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let's leave that verse up there for a few minutes. In this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, the word gospel, we already talked about the, the Greek word, and that's where we've been talking about what? What's gospel mean? Okay, whew. That was easier. Good news. So we could we could just substitute real quick good news there. To keep them from seeing the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, what's glory? Glory is a fascinating word. Um, we talk about God as, as full of glory. He, Jesus, uh, here, the image of God, it says, um, and the gospel, the good news is of the glory of Christ. What, is, what does glory mean? It can mean a lot of things. Uh, it can mean the, the, the beauty, that's probably a, an interesting word to hang on to there. Glory can mean beauty, it can mean majesty, it can mean awesomeness, it can mean a lot of those things. But can we kind of hang out for a few minutes on the idea of maybe beauty or, or majesty? And so let, let's, let's read our verse again. To keep them from seeing the light of the good news of the beauty of Christ or the majesty of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, now what is that? What am I getting at there? Here's where I want to hang out for a minute. Because we know if the gospel is good news, and we know the good news, and we herald the good news, this verse helps us maybe understand some things about why people don't embrace it the way we do. And one reason has to do with what the good news is. It's the good news of the glory of Christ, or the beauty of Christ. See, I think we go back to that idea of the Jeopardy quiz in the sky, the information thing. We come and you sit and, and basically you could look at this meeting as a lecture. This is what I'm doing. I'm lecturing to a class. And later you might go to what a lot of churches call Sunday school. And if during the week you go to a small group, it's often called Bible study. What do all those things kind of have at their root, the, the idea of information transfer, a lecture. My daughter's going to college. We went to orientation on Friday. Woohoo! Cool place. Uh, we talked to Denise and I graduated from there, Palm Beach Atlantic, and a long time ago. And the funny thing was, we were talking to people and they're like, "Oh, was this building here when you were here?" <laughs> a. Apparently, um, I look way younger than than I think I am. Because it was a long, long time ago. How long was it? 90? 25 years ago. Wow. Graduated 25 years ago. Was this building here? <laughs> See, I told several of them. My dorm was a, was Kathy Hall. K- 
Kathy Hall was a mile off campus. Like the Palm Beach Atlantic is, is, is an incredible location. It's right on the intercoastal, right by the bridge that goes over to Palm Beach. You know, that Palm Beach. And, and I mean, just incredible location. And, and my dorm, like I said, was a mile away by the street as, as the crow flies a little closer. Um, a mile away, Kathy Hall. We had to have 24-hour uh, canine security force at the dorm, which is great to tell a parent. Your kid will be fine. There's canine security at the dorm. Why do you need canine security? It's a good question. Well, that's because, because you know, it was a good Christian college, and we good Christian boys would sit in our dorm lobby and uh, holler at the prostitutes walking <laughs> outside. Good Christian education. Sending my daughter because Kathy Hall has been demolished, and it's much nicer now. She's in a place called Ocean View, and it's the newest dorm on campus. And, you know, you go there, and, and uh, just, just an incredible place. I have no idea where I got off on that tangent. I, I had a point somewhere. Let's go with this. Let's go with beauty. See, I remember PBA pretty fondly. Um, like I said, I met... Denise there, we met in the campus ministry's office, fell in love, got married our senior year, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's not the right way to describe it, is it? (sighs) Erase that part of the tape. I don't think blah, blah, blah describes 25 years of wedded bliss. Hey, cue the dog video. Let's go back there. Cat video, no, that won't work. Um, but, you know, just just thinking about it. And, we, and so I, even with all its imperfections 25 years ago, it was a great place to be. And, and there are other people that would look at that, and they wouldn't think of it that way. But let me change it from a college campus to an art museum. Right on the campus is the Norton Gallery of Art. And every once in a while they do free tours for students or free days, and you go in there. I am not an art aficionado. Maybe some of you are. But art is interesting. You can go and look and see something and have totally opposite reactions to the same piece of art. Is that true? Some people will go and look and say, wow, that is beautiful. And other people will go and look at the same picture, the same painting, the same statue and say, I don't get it. And, and here's the thing. No matter how much the person that looks at it and says, that is beautiful, tells me why it's beautiful, is going to change my initial reaction. In that art museum, the problem isn't I have a lack of information. If I just get the right information, if you'll just tell me about the technique the artist used, or or maybe educate me on the variety of colors and the way they shaded and the medium on which and the medium by which they created that work of art, maybe that if I just had enough information, I would go, oh, it's beautiful. That's not how it works, is it? You might tell me all of that, and I might even, to some level, understand all of that, but that doesn't mean in that moment, suddenly, it's beautiful. And I think this is where we miss it sometimes as Christians. We approach the non-believer, the unbeliever, the non-Christian, and think if we can just give them enough information, they'll just see it as beautiful. They'll just get it. 
And the reality is all around our world are a lot of people who have a lot of information about the thing that we find glorious, the image of the God, which is the glory of Christ, which is the heart of our gospel. They have a lot of information. They can tell you things about the, the text and the context and the history of who Jesus is and, and where he lived and where he was born and all of that sort of thing. But they don't see it as beautiful. And you and I can't convince them that it's beautiful just by transferring information. And I think sometimes we've missed that thing. And we think as we look around us that they just need to know a little more. Do you know who knows more about Christ than just about anybody? The devil. And what does he do with that information? He trembles, I believe, is the word. Even the demons believe. And they tremble. They understand, but it makes no difference. Why? Because this tells us, in, the, in their case, the God of this world has done what? Blinded their minds. What does it mean to be blind? What does it mean to not be able to see? What is it like for a person who can see to try to understand the life of a person who can't? What's it like for a person who can't see to experience the world that the sighted do and take for granted. It's just really bad to say this. I was going to say night and day, but it sort of applies. And we live among people who have their, not their eyes, but their what? Their minds blinded. They can't see what we see. And no matter how much information we give them, if their mind is already shut off, blinded to it, what difference will that make? In fact, Jesus would, would kind of give us a little information on that in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, when he says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So what's happening here is we have this good news that we herald, that we revel in, that we understand the glory of God evidenced in Christ, and we see His beauty, and we see His glory, we know it's good news, but there are those all around us who decide, we might say, that they don't want to see it, and they love darkness rather than light. Go a lot of places with this, say a lot of things, but I think as I look at our world, this I see as epidemic. I think we could talk about many things that are in the news, but to me, sometimes those are just the surface issues. You know what I think is the real problem with the human heart? It's not definitions of marriage and anything. It's that at some level, we don't want anybody to tell us what we can be. You know when that starts? 
Why do you think they keep asking why? Because they want you to give up and say, just do it already. Quit asking. From very young age, we decide we don't want anybody. We want to be our own boss. We want to do what we want to do. We want it in the immortal words of, is it Frank Sinatra? My way. I won't bust into song. Because then you'd bust out of here. Talk about not seeing something as glorious. That would be bad. We, we have this within our hearts that we don't want any outside authority telling us what to do. Have you ever been driving down the highway and there are people just buzzing by you? And all of a sudden, these people that were flying by you, you see brake lights and now you're passing them. What's happening? What's happening? They saw a police officer. Oh, no. Like, you know, the cop didn't already see them. Right, Cody? You got them. It's hysterical to me. And they'll go below the speed limit. I think it's funny. I think, I don't know, maybe they, I, I, I swear police officers like to do that. On, you know, the interstate is 70 miles an hour, and they'll drive in the left lane at 63 just to see if anybody will pass them. Maybe they'll get in the right lane. And if you've been behind them, you're like, why is there all this traffic? Oh. And, you know, that, that first person will pull around at like 65. It's 70, but they're at 65. They won't pull me over for five miles under the speed limit, right? And so we, we fight this battle because as soon as we think nobody's watching, what are we doing? 80. We don't want people to, to impose limits on us. Why? Because we love the darkness. Because if the light comes, it'll show all that we've been doing that we shouldn't have been, and then we have to own up to that. And we don't want to do that. We just don't want to do that, which is why... In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us what has to happen. It tells us, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why do we look at Jesus and why do we see his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth? Because God has said to me, let there be light in his heart. Because God has said to you, has shown his light into your heart. And when his light came, then you got it. It wasn't because you learned enough. It wasn't because you had enough information. It's because God acted to show you the beauty of who he was in the face of Jesus Christ. And you looked at him and you saw the glory and you saw the good news of what God had done for you. So if that's the case, what do we do? Let's back up a verse, verse 5. So, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. So we proclaim, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We, we get that part. As the church of Jesus Christ, we get that. We'll proclaim that all day long. We'll stand on street. Okay, maybe that's a little much, but we will, we will stand up for that in lots of places. You know, the part we miss is that next phrase. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. If, if you were to read in verse 3, actually you could back up to the beginning of the chapter and read through, you see this progression that, that Paul is saying, in this world, the God of this age has blinded the minds of people to his glory in Jesus. 
But you, who know him, have to be careful what you proclaim, that you proclaim Jesus as Lord and yourselves as servants. And when that happens, verse 6, God shines his light in their heart, and they see and understand his beauty, and then come to know the faith that you and I know. What is our role as Christians to serve this world? This is where I think we have to be so careful. This is where I think we have to be so aware lest we stray into we just need to give them more information. No, you know what we need to do to the lost of this world? Find a way to serve them. That's what that verse says. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and we proclaim ourselves as your servants. And what happens? Verse 6, God shines his light. How do we serve? This is hard, by the way. How do you serve those who would mock the faith that you live for? How do you serve those who would respond to you harshly just for what you believe about God? about his son Jesus. It's not natural, is it? The natural thing in our human heart in those situations is to bow our back and to show them, to tell them the superiority of our way of thinking, of our way of life, of our understanding. But what does that do? Is that somehow shining or allowing God to shine his light into their hearts so that their eyes or their minds that were blinded could be opened to the beauty of the Christ in us? What is the example of Jesus, who being in very nature God, Philippians 2, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to hold on to, but he did what? He took the form of a servant. And being made in likeness as human man, he humbled himself, humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. We as God's people who see the light of the glory of God in his son Jesus have been called to serve this world. Have been called to somehow live our lives in a way that Jesus lived. You've heard it said before, but I think it bears repeating and I have to drum it into my head, and maybe we all do. When we think about the life of Jesus, do you notice the attractiveness of who Jesus was to the sinners of his day? In fact, they came looking for him. They would seek him out. They would line streets hoping that as he went by, they could just somehow grab or touch the edge of his garment and have their life changed and healing come. They climbed trees to look down as he went by with his disciples. They left lucrative careers, as corrupt as they might be, tax collectors and otherwise, to give their life to following him. There was something about Jesus on this earth that didn't repel those who were far from God, but attracted them. 
think that we as God's people have to ask ourselves, do we have that same attractiveness? Does the light of the glory of God as expressed in the way I live my life attract people the way Jesus, who lived it perfectly, we've already covered that, attracted people that needed to know God? We don't proclaim ourselves. It's not about me and what I can do or what I have done or how God has blessed me or all that I know and you don't. No, we proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. And because he's Lord, what does that make me? Your servant. For Jesus is sent. And then, God, who said, let his light shine out of darkness, make his light shine in hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you have done for us through your son Jesus that we could never do for ourselves. That the good news of the gospel is so incredibly, remarkably good because we were lost, we were hopeless, we were dead. And you made us alive. You gave us hope, you gave us life, and you gave us eternity. But you have done so much, and we certainly don't deserve it. And we certainly can't express all the depth of our gratitude for acting on our behalf. But we are so grateful. Lord, because of what we know, because of who we know in you and the good news that we have experienced, God, we want to be people who share that good news, who herald it. But you've reminded us today that often the way to herald the good news of your glory is to be the servant of the world. Lord, I know every one of us in here has people that we know that don't know you, that aren't believers, that aren't Christians or or saved or whatever word we want to use to call them. And Father, some of us even know people that have maybe mocked us or said harsh things about the faith that is so dear to us. And Father, in this moment, I would pray you would impress upon our minds and hearts the need to serve those very people as an expression of who you are to us. That you would show us how we might serve them. And that in serving them, Father, it might be the catalyst by which you would open the eyes of their heart. You would open their minds to the glory and the beauty of who you are. And that we would even be a part of that moment when their lives are changed, when they see you for who you are. Lord, thank you that the good news of the gospel has come to know. Thank you that we can preach and sing and sing and preach because in response to that great news, the outpouring of our heart has to to be expressed in some way. And even now as we sing our song of response, Father, may that be 
the message of our song. May that be the the motivation behind our singing to to exalt in who you are and what you have done and to herald the good news of the gospel of your son Jesus. And Lord, I pray as well, if there's someone here who does not know you as Savior, who has not seen you for who you are, the glory of the image of God, that maybe even today, Lord, you've opened their eyes and they've they've had a glimpse of all that you are and all that you have done for them. And Lord, if that is the case, may you call them to yourself even today. May you reach down into their life and provide forgiveness and salvation as they turn to you, having seen you for who you are and responding in the only way our human heart can, but to praise and to glorify and to ask for forgiveness and to acknowledge you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, in these moments, may you have your way in each heart. For we ask in Jesus' name.